0: Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a red-headed stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson.
1: And I'm Andy Boel, and today we are pulling back Hollywood's Crypt to review Luc Besson's sci-fi action movie, The Fifth Element.
0: <laughs> I stayed awake this time.
1: I'm very proud. Yeah, you told me off mic how you tried to watch this movie like two or three times and could never actually manage to stay awake through the entirety.
0: Yeah, back when I lived with uh, Brian Flenner, he like apparently this is his favorite movie. And so poor guy sat me down, not once, but twice to try and watch it because he's like, oh, you fell asleep last time. Yeah. Let's try again. And I fell asleep again. So this time I sat down with a, a cup of coffee the size of my head, roughly.
1: Okay. And I'm proud of you then. And <laughs> I got to go. I My heart goes out for Ryan Flanner because <laughs> I, uh, I very much enjoy this movie. And you super did. not
0: <laughs> There were parts of it I really liked, parts of it that were really, really fun. But overall, it just kind of feels like... A catch-all niche of a bunch of science fiction memes.
1: Okay, memes is a fascinating word.
0: Well, or memes probably isn't the right word. Trope's. It. It feels like a science fiction trope salad.
1: Okay, you know what? I'm here for that. I'm here <laughs> for that, and I'm not going to say you're wrong. The fifth element. We we've talked so much on the show about like. Oh, this movie was clearly made for a 12 year old boy, and all of its problematic aspects are meant to be swept under the rug. And we've always brought this up as a highly critical thing, and all these movies that we've seen in the present. This movie is literally something I first saw when I was 10, and then watched probably 20 times over the next five years. Like, this movie was a staple of my childhood. <laughs> And so I am hugely biased in ways that I don't think I have been since we watched Green Room. Oh. And I am very interested for this conversation because I very much got the impression from you that this is going to be the one that I, like, can't get you to come away with me on by the end of the recording.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, here's the statement I want to make before I shoot myself in the foot and say, I hated it, I hated it. Had I seen it when I was 12, I probably would have enjoyed it. Like, mm-hmm. I probably would have been sitting here, like, oh, the action is fascinating. I didn't hate it as much as I've hated other films that we've watched. Like, the story was pretty solid. Um, clearly, it wasn't enough to keep me invested. excited or invested because I fell asleep the first two times I tried to watch it. Um, it was fine.
1: And that's fair. And, and so let's go ahead and explore that. But <laughs> before that, in case you missed it, the fifth element is this sci-fi presented as an epic story of a battle between good and evil with the ultimate good being defined as this perfect divine being who winds up being a uh, orange haired woman named Lelu and Corbin Dallas played by Bruce Willis, the essentially New York taxicab man of the future who um gets caught up in a complex web of intrigue and evil corporate people and supernatural evil beings and priests and aliens and different aliens and a stand-in for prince and finds himself <laughs> having to save the earth from evil with an orange-haired woman named lilu
0: Yeah, except she's not even orange-haired because you can see her roots. It is... Okay, okay, okay. Can we get this rant out of the way? Please. She's a sexy baby born yesterday, recreated, blah, 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 divine being. She's being literally objectified the whole movie as the divine being. She's perfect. Oh my God, she's perfect. If she's so perfect, why the fuck can't she have a good dye job? (laughs) The first four inches of roots are showing out of her head and then halfway through down her hair, that's when the orange hair decides to start? Oh, yeah. Oh, let me hold my horses. Ideal perfection of beauty. <laughs> like, clearly a dude wrote this.
1: Well, yeah, a dude very much wrote this. So, so you know, this was written and directed by French filmmaker Luc Besson, who has made a, a, a career out of, like movies science fiction high concept movies for teenage boys and he literally wrote the fifth element while he was in high school like that is when he first came up with the story and it was kind of just his own like escapism thing and i can understand as those words come out of my mouth that it is blatantly obvious that this was like the first concept of this was from the brain of a a high school like nerd boy
0: of course it was. We have a woman running around in literal straps of clothing, Yeah. saving the planet. And by the way, did we mention she's a divine creature and she's here to save us all. But she saves us all by being the heart of the earth, wind, fire, water. water. It's just not great. <laughs>
1: And I can sit here and admit, she needs to be protected and saved herself by the big, strong, Mary Sue, badass, funny man.
0: Who... Oh, gosh, he'll never find the perfect woman. He'll never find her. His wife left him. Oh, and then the perfect woman falls through his car.
1: There, it is, there literally is the line where he's like, I don't want a woman. Or somebody tells him there are a million women out there. And he's like, I don't want a million women. I just want one. The perfect one.
0: The perfect one doesn't exist. And then she falls through his cab. Oh, how convenient.
1: I'm going to take it as a mark of personal Good for me, ness. That I am not so biased that I can't critically peel apart this onion of a movie. <laughs> that I I still very much love and enjoy, but is absolutely the most the most dated thing about it is just its notions of gender politics and um representations of race and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day the white man is the most prominent and best thing there can be even in the fight even in the face of the divine
0: so i i read forever ago that someone one of my favorite authors cannot enjoy star wars As Star Wars like she can't enjoy it as a film in and of itself Mm -hmm. and the only way that she puts up with Star Wars is I have to examine Star Wars from like the way out pulled out Here is I am examining it from the steps of Joseph Campbell And that's how she can enjoy it and that's how I had to enjoy this movie because it pretty closely follows that but that's an example of it being trope salad is it's just like it is very formulaic, and God, I love formulaic movies, but this one just was so much that.
1: Sure, yeah, and and you know, I I thought about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey at the moment where Bruce Willis gives the first refusal and he's about to give up Mila Jovovich to the cops and be like, "I'm sorry, I can't help you," and I was like, "Hey, there's the first refusal." Yeah, And then watch the rest of the movie. And and also, like, this very much takes a lot of farcical comedic elements and, and does the thing where it's like, here's all of our characters. here all in the same setting. None of them are aware of the other. This guy goes in that door, and then that guy comes out of the other door. And then, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. But I still love that.
0: I know. I know. And I think that's what, not your love of it bothers me. I think... My problem with Fifth Element is that it's. Maybe it's not even bad. It's just over touted. Okay. So, like, you are not the first white boy I have known who is like, oh my god, Fifth Element is the height of cinema and I love this movie.
1: So, it's. In its. Cultness, it is overstated of its quality to you
0: yes okay because there is no denying this is cult.
1: no yeah this this is a big old bag of cult, and like again this is this is better than toxic avenger even for its flaws it's, i think oh no absolutely <laughs> but this is my toxic avenger his dream his desire his most intimate of intimates and one I'm looking at
0: intimate is the Stud muffins middle name. So- <laughs> all right, all right, so now that I have gotten that rant out of the way as to why I didn't like it, what do you love about it?
1: I love that it is like it is so much fun. And like looking at Luke Besson, we've got one or two other films on his on, uh, on the Crypt. The other big hit of his is not a sci fi movie. It's um, a movie called Leon the Professional, which we will talk about in due time and is problematic in its own ways. But the fifth element Lupuson never really reaches the renown and success. That he got in this movie. Mm -hmm. At least not as far as I've seen. He's come out with a bunch of sci-fi movies since then. um, The latest one being a movie called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Which was this huge, big sci-fi epic scope thing that was a total flop. I don't know if it's cult yet or not. But like, there are so many stories where the guy tried. And I... You, I, I loved Fifth Element so much that I would always be like, oh, okay, we're, we're sitting down for a Luc Besson joint. And would always come away a little disappointed. And none of his other projects have captured that same magic for me that this does. This movie, more than anything, I would have said is fun. Yeah. And... One of the things I want to do this, this surprisingly actually came out in 1998, the same year as the faculty, which we just watched and just like think about the difference in scope between the two projects. They're both science fiction. Mm
0: -hmm. They both
1: have aliens, but one of them was a very by the numbers um, teen scream ask, not huge budget we're going to, like, take a real-life high school and borrow it for three weeks and film our movie. And we're going to spend some money on on actors and practical effects, but we're going to keep the scale very tight because we're a studio picture and we're doing the thing. And then the fifth element, like, was not only this giant sci-fi we're going to rent out three studios and we're going to build all these sets and nothing is going to look like things look now of days we're going to build the future but it also wound up being one of the most expensive movies actually i think the most expensive movie not made in hollywood to date it cost um the the french studio is called galmont and it cost Galmont $80 million to finance and create the fifth element. And it's this amazing, practical, like just fun, bright, colorful, distinct world full of funny things and exciting things. And I can sit here and admit problematic things.
0: Sure. Well, and it's so funny because you asked off camera, like, are you, is this what you see the future being in 200 years? Mm-hmm. Sure. Because there's unaddressed racism, there's unaddressed sexism, there's unaddressed underrepresentation. We have a lot. It's still a police state, mm-hmm. it's still a capitalist adventure in terribleness. So, yeah, of course, this is us in 200 years because. Why wouldn't it be?
1: That's a really uh, fun point and way to take that question that I was not expecting, (laughs) to be perfectly honest with you. (laughs) Hmm.
0: I mean, sure, yeah, maybe we get flying cars out of it and maybe we get, you know, first class trips, but those first class trips are always going to go to wealthy people. One of the racial problems that we address in the movie is that, sure there's you know all of these different alien races and everything but who at the end of the day is attending the opera it's people right it's humans mostly white humans all wealthy humans
1: and i i never thought about that i thought about the like aliens in fifth element only ever as a extension of how fantastical the film is because We've got several different alien species that are all like fleshed out and different. And you've got the big bulky robot Mondashiwans who are just so like, I love them because they're practical and they look so weird. Like you would expect an alien to look, you've got the bad guys, the Mangalores, you've got the Diva Playa Laguna, and then you've got like a couple of different random creature, monster things. And you're right. Like, So we've got the bad guys, we've got the nebulous alien race that is the plot MacGuffin, and we've got the set piece so we can have our crazy weird alien opera thing and be cool. And oh, also, by the way, she's also plot MacGuffin. And everything else is just set dressing.
0: Yeah. She's literally a kind of sort of roundabout drug mule (laughs) yeah because she's carrying the all-important stones so she is the entertainment she is the oh hey we're gonna throw you on stage but by the way also you're gonna get dead and cut open and you're gonna carry the thing that is just so important
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah, and, you know, I, I gotta give credit where it's due. And, and you know, I I never thought about that. I never thought about that beyond, like, oh, my God, this is so fun. Holy shit, she's blue. And can no human can sing that way. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this, because I don't think we actually talked about this. Do you find this movie funny?
0: There are parts of it, I guess, that are funny. Like, okay, I love... Ruby, the radio DJ, because he's so very clearly a prince knockoff. Right. But most of the humor in this movie isn't really humor aside from... Okay, so there's one line where... Oh, Lilu is changing in front of the guys because she has right. no idea of modesty. She's a sexy alien baby born yesterday. Yes. And the priest and the, his acolyte turn around and the acolyte says, oh, my God, they really did make her. And then the priest goes, perfect, I know. And, like, I know that's meant to be a laugh, but I'm just like, uh, okay, yay, ha, 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 it's funny. She's an object.
1: Sure. My biggest takeaway after, like, just having a conversation with you after the movie was, like, holy shit, Luke Besson. Like, you you won the award for, and this isn't an Oscar for either of us, but it could have been, you won the award for most objectified female character because she is literally the fifth element.
0: Okay, so fifth element drinking game, neither here nor there. Every time they say either she's perfect or it's the fifth element, take a shot. You'll be drunk by the end of the film.
1: Oh, you'll be drunk by the middle of the film. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so... You know, the reason I ask is because in talking about how this movie is fun, like it's it's very bright. Luc Basson made a very big point of like, I'm not making Blade Runner. I'm so tired of a dark, gritty future. The future can be bright and colorful and crazy. Let's make that. And it's also funny. At least I, I've always felt so. There, there are so many lines that are just delivered in a super wry or sarcastic manner by Bruce Willis. You know, at the end of the last episode, the thing I said was, you know, find out how uh, whether or not we're meat popsicles because that's a line that I just lost my goddamn mind laughing at the first time I ever heard it. It's nonsensical. It's funny. It's funny in editing where like, you know, somebody will be saying, Oh, where are the thing? And then they cut to the thing in a humorous fashion. There are every character gets to be at least a little funny. And I always appreciated that. Like this is at least watching it in my household growing up this is like an action comedy okay and so i always like that was always one of my biggest takeaways and it's also one of the things luke Basson's never really done the same way is like this is funny ruby rod is hilarious in his outlandish insanity and absolutely being prince meets michael jackson meets the future And Bruce Willis is funny as, like, even in the year 2267 or whatever the heck it is, like, he's still the prototypical, like, gruff New Yorker guy. Sure. And you have physical comedy with his crazy small apartment, which almost kills everybody he shoves into a shower or shoves into the bed. And, like... I'm, I, I was just really curious because we hadn't talked about that. And, and that was the biggest thing is like, yeah, this is, this is a super fun, happy, like crazy movie. Anybody else want to negotiate? I
0: think, okay. So I'm trying to think, did I laugh at, I laughed at um the bits with the mom calling Bruce Willis's character Corbin sure. and being like you have to take me to this thing and kind of making it be about her role as her as the mother and I kept expecting her to come on camera but she never does but she also right. ends the movie. Um that was pretty funny but I also think none of it struck me as overtly humorous. It was clever.
1: Sure. And that's fine like <laughs> no I mean really like I've I've I'm I'm not going to try to like bend you and bend your opinion into liking this just more like illustrate like like the, there, there's the bit where Vito Cornelius the priest Ian Holm returning to cult fiction Ian Holm um, he's he's sitting at the airport and he's like lamenting about how lilu is this perfect great like divine being and this weapon to save humanity, but also she's so fragile and delicate, you know, and he looks up and it's a robot bartender that just mechanically shakes his head. And then goes, do you want some more? Like that was another bit that like, do you want some more was a family quote that we would just say to each other because it was, it, it was a riotous momentous hit of a thing. Um, But yeah, no, all that to say, just like it's, it's it's interesting to watch a thing. I've avoided this like practically this entire time. It's interesting to watch a thing and it's something from my childhood and it's something pretty dearly beloved and then have somebody very fairly be like hey buddy um it's not great. It's fine. It's
0: fine. It's not bad. I mean, you're right. It's fun. So it's fun in the sense of I could have done without the whole religious aspect. Mm. And if it had just been pitched as an action movie, a sci-fi action movie, and had removed the framing device of, oh, the stones are here since 1914. And now it's 300 years later. Like, maybe this is because I fell asleep the first two times. I'd forgotten about the entire framing device. And I thought the movie genuinely started with Bruce Willis waking up in
1: his apartment. So you miss the blink and you'll miss it Luke Perry cameo.
0: Oh, but he's so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I'm aware that I'm objectifying a man and and like subverting it, but like he's so pretty. But also, like, it's the whole religious aspect feels really forced when you could have just as easily made this a the priest comes in later and it just becomes backstory in a more, honestly, a more organic way.
1: Sure. Cause I'm just now in this conversation realizing like he doesn't even need to be a priest. You could keep everything about the same and just not make it a, just not have there be this sense of biblical phantasm to it all and keep the sci-fi fantasy like, the the priest in the beginning doesn't need to be a priest he could just be the the goat herder who secretly is the alien's contact on earth and then cut to the future and like it's still the same thing where it's like this knowledge has been passed down but you take away this prophetic good versus evil thing
0: you know which movie is this but better what <laughs> the mummy It is almost...
1: You know what? You're right.
0: (laughs) It's almost beat for beat. The mummy, except better.
1: I fully accept that because I love the mummy.
0: Yes. Me as well, also.
1: (laughs) So, okay. So, hold. So, so.
0: (laughs) I just, I had a moment where I was staring off into the middle distance and realizing, oh, holy. I just want, that's why I don't like this. Because mm-hmm. I like the mummy so much more.
1: Sure. And um, Rick O'Connell might as well be Corbin Dallas. And yep. you lose the divine power thing. But in a good way, because Evie is just as important to the movie as Lelou and, and she still like needs to be protected. But it's because she has knowledge and also is like... A, descendant of the egyptian thing Um, but she's not like presented as like evie the secret lost cleopatra of the desert yeah now i want to watch the mummy because and again action comedy the mummy's funny as shit yes
0: yes and it's better because it has a cleaner plot better characters, better writing, doesn't feel like a trope salad straight out of a high school boy's notebook.
1: Sure, 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 sure. Okay. All right, for for <laughs> we're settling the score. The Mummy is better than the Fifth Element, <laughs> and I think his, no one's
0: surprised by that.
1: And no one's surprised by that. I think history will side with us because there's no The Fifth Element ride at Universal Studios. The Fifth Element didn't get two sequels,
0: <laughs> and a remake,
1: and a remake. Oh God, I forgot the remake. <laughs> now I'm sad again. I think
0: we all tried to.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Um, I do want to say that, like, in defense, in defense of the Trope Salad, in defense of high schooler Luc Besson, like, I feel like this kind of scope of a movie doesn't get made when it's just a random property and it's just a guy who works in Hollywood being like, I wrote an entire universe true, because now we have Marvel and now we have, like, all of the um very carefully propertied franchises that we're never going to touch on in this show. Yeah. Oh god, maybe that's part of why I like this too because this is like this was one of the last truly like random unique original stories and it's cult in that way because I'm trying to think of the last time Hollywood did something that was just this insane and not a well-established property and not Star Wars, for instance. And the only thing I can think of is um, the Wachowskis made a movie called Jupiter Rising, Jupiter Ascending, Jupiter something. And it didn't do very well, but it was also like this original sci-fi thing. And that was in like 2014. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But just because you're starving doesn't mean a ding dong's going to be good for you.
1: Right, exactly. Just because you're wandering through the desert, um, hold on. How would this analogy work? <laughs> <laughs> just because you're 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 swimming in the ocean, you don't want to drink the salt water.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No. And I'm with you there as someone who's really stressed out by the Marvel universe. And if you see one, you have to basically see all of them. And it's so overwhelming. And basically, 20 years, the past 20 years of cinema have been devoted to that. Yeah. That's really stressful. And I definitely understand it. And I get the hunger for something different. Yeah. So...
1: Yeah, more than anything, I just like because and, and even you agree, this isn't like this doesn't belong on the trash heap of like cinema. This isn't like a bad thing. This is just not as good of a thing as white men like me have presented to you as it is. I'm, I'm just I'm more picking out the things that like I truly like. I truly like the performances like Bruce Willis is, again, great as I mean, he's. He's basically just John McClane, but there's nothing wrong with that. Mila Jovovich, um, if nothing else, like, she took the role seriously. She got all this stunt training, all this fight training, beat out a bunch of people for this part, invented the alien made-up language.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That
1: she speaks. Like, I I love that fact so much. Both her and Luke Basson like, figured out what is that actual language to the point where they could have conversations in it by the end of the filming. Stop
0: it. That's amazing. I love that.
1: I'm glad. If nothing else, I can give you something to be joyous about for this.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Um, Ian Holm is, again, you know, perfect. and you know, compare this to when we saw him in Brazil, and he was like the super nervous, but still funny. Um, boss of the main character he's like ian holm just doesn't know how to do a, a bad performance really he's fantastic in this uh gary oldman as the bad guy as zorg is a goddamn cartoon character
0: why is he foghorn leghorn though
1: because he didn't give a shit like the, the, the biggest thing I can say, Gary Oldman and Luke Basson were friends. Gary Oldman is the bad guy and Leon the professional. Um, and Luke Basson agreed to finance a movie for Gary Oldman that he wrote and directed himself. I've never heard of it. I don't know if it'll go on the list or not. Um, and so Gary Oldman was like, okay, Luke, thank you so much for, for financing my movie. I will do a part for you. And I, I won't even like ask any questions. And so Luc Besson was like, you're going to be the bad guy in The Fifth Element. And then Gary Oldman read the script and was like, oh, can I make choices? And Luc Besson said, sure, you can make choices. And Gary Oldman chose to make Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg a mix between Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny. And it's still great. It's, he's, it, <laughs> Gary Oldman can't do fucking wrong. The, the scene where he is giving a sales pitch for his like seven in one machine gun lives rent free in my head. It is so good. He is so fun. Even as he is doing this insane Kentucky accent. This is my favorite Chris Tucker role. I don't like him in Rush Hour. I don't like him in um, a lot of the things where he's supposed to be, like, the funny guy. Ruby Rod is just such an insane character. Like, Mm -hmm. you you texted me, like, why wasn't this Prince? Mm -hmm. And Prince was like, I'm too good for this.
0: I mean, rightfully so. Because by the end of the movie, I think I texted you that halfway through the movie. By the end of the movie, when Ruby Rod is, like, crawling through rubble, I'm like, oh, no. Oh no, my good King Prince is too good for this.
1: Right, exactly. I I can't remember this. I couldn't find anywhere to confirm it, but I think he won an award, like a, an internet award, not a real award, but I think he won an award for best scream <laughs> for <laughs> the bit where he gets shot through the floor. What's he doing? Count two. so yeah like i mean for all the things like this is a, a a very entertainingly acted movie you've got tiny lister may he rest in peace as the president of the united states which is definitely the most like one of the most serious roles that tiny lister ever got to play and that's fun um and, segueing into that, you wanted to talk about the racial representations in this movie, which I had massive rose-tinted glasses on as a kid.
0: <laughs> well, you do get a black president. Sure. But we had Obama, and that turned out so well for race <laughs> relations in our country.
1: <laughs> Indeed, sure.
0: <laughs> no, you have a black president, that's great, but you also have a really racist scene with a dude on a Chinese food delivery truck. And he is every Chinese stereotype.
1: Yeah. He is like Eddie Murphy in coming to America levels of insensitive towards Asian Americans for sure. Um, And I don't even think I tried to make an argument for his inclusion. I did try to make an argument for the uh, Jamaican flight crew, leader guy you
0: tried and
1: that didn't work in my favor very well
0: (laughs) well because so you're right they're not you when we talked about this earlier you said well they're not smoking blunts they're not wearing rastafari hats. there's
1: only one guy who like has the long dreads and is very clearly jamaican and i'm sitting here going like okay it's it's new york in the future they're there there's allowed to be Uh, a pit crew leader again he's the leader he's not the one at the bottom of the totem pole sure who is like very clearly a jamaican guy
0: sure but they have an underlay of like jamaican music in the background and they're loading up a plane it's not like he's in any place of import or high power
1: sure sure
0: and then you have the aliens who again are being treated as like subracial
1: or if nothing else, spectacle. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: absolutely, I, I I can agree with that. Can we talk about the Diva Playa Laguna a little yes. bit? Yes,
0: yes, 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 we can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. So for the, for for one thing, I want to say like I think the effects work is really great and it holds up. It's you know she's a very humanoid looking alien once she, except for her head, but for the most part, I think the look is really good. It's really interesting and like. That song, it really is one of the climactic beats of the, of the movie when she gives this insane, brilliant aria that turns into this crazy, like, fast-paced hip-hop space aria. Um, so she was played by a uh, French model-slash-singer named Maiwen, who at the time was Lupison's real-life fiancé, uh, who got the role because the woman they actually casted never showed up. And so Luke Besson turns to his fiance and is like, honey, want to do the thing? Would you please do the thing? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. But you actually dug up a lot of interesting stuff about the voice of yeah. Faya Laguna.
0: So they originally wanted kind of a Maria Callas, I believe is how you say her name. Maria Callas is a famous opera singer. And they wanted her voice, but Maria Callas died in the 70s. So... Um, Instead, they hired Inva Moa, who at the time was 34, which is insane to me. That's three years older than I am right now. And she is repping this insane soprano range of just craziness. But she was also the child of two different opera singers. So she grew up in opera. So she knew this libretta backwards and forwards already. And so it was not really a problem for her to sing it. But I don't know about the second part.
1: Well, so, so right. Um, and, and, and I'm glad you highlighted that. Cause I thought that was really fascinating to find anybody who could do. This is great. So the first half of that song is a real life opera called Il Duce Suano. And it's, uh, I, I looked this up. I don't know this off the top of my head. I'm not that obsessed. It's from an opera called Lucia uh, D. Lammermoor. And it is incredibly, like, unique and difficult. And it's, like, well-known in the opera world because you sing a high F above a high C, which is gibberish to me, but is apparently very impressive.
0: It is nigh impossible. You have to train for years.
1: And so you get to the second part of it, which is actually impossible. Luc Besson handed Inva Mula The uh, song for the second half and was like, okay, we'd also like you to sing this. And she took like one look at it, handed it back to him and politely said, these notes are physically impossible for the human body. There's a sequence you hear because it, you know, just, just look up fifth element opera. If you don't know what we're talking about and you will hear the thing. It gets to a point where it sounds like just a piano is being played super quick and super fast. And those were the super high notes that a human being couldn't actually physically do. So what they had her do is had her sing each note individually and then edited it into the actual sound wave, which I think is fun because like it speaks to like, here is an alien opera singer who can sing an opera impossible for a human being to sing. Yes. I thought that part of it was really cool. No,
0: it's so, so, so super cool. And that level of detail is wonderful, and that's what turns this from an I hate this movie into a I respect this movie and it's not for me.
1: Sure. That's fair. I can I can respectfully um agree. <laughs> Um, you know, while we're, while we're talking about the things, you know, we didn't actually talk about this, but I got to go ahead and admit the, um, very fetishistic service class outfits throughout the movie i can agree those are very high school boy those are very not great the idea that uh future mcdonald's are staffed with just these beautiful young women in mcdonald's red wigs wearing little mcdonald's crowns or that flight attendants would have like these super short skirts and then boob windows but they're not really boob windows they're just like boob slits that like remind you hey there's boobs there
0: They're cleavage windows because everyone knows that cleavage is the hottest part of the boob. (laughs) I'll let you off the hook on that one. Um, But I also agree, like, there's also this unattainable, I'm so pretty, I am a sex object. Because there is also the woman who is um, checking everybody in. The part where the movie turns into rat race and there's, like, four people trying to check in as Corbin. Right. And they're all like, oh, I'm Corbin. I'm Corbin. And she's, because she's a consummate professional, she is dealing with all of this with the grace and ease of I'm a docile woman and I'm supposed to be, but also here are my tits completely on display.
1: Yeah. Even when she's like fed up with somebody and like winds up just going away and and a gun winds up being pointed at him. You're right. Did your little service industry heart break it all because mine did
0: <laughs> I just I've been there where you have to tell a drunk human no I'm so sorry Segways are actually one person a piece you cannot in fact ride piggyback on your best friend and ride on a segway at the same time sir I'm very sorry I'm very sorry that's not going to happen
1: it's a story I'm going to want to hear later when we're <laughs> off recording <laughs> <laughs>
0: will
1: absolutely tell it to you so yeah i mean that's that that that's the fifth element and I, I think that's fair and I'll i'll be very interested to see if there's any like if anybody who listens to these episodes and usually talks to us afterwards like you know matthew chris i want to know what you guys think um i think it's incredibly fair to say that this movie is dated in a different way yeah i don't think there's anything we've said has specifically aged poorly other than this conversation we've been having for the entire episode where like the movie's opinions on gender and race aged poorly.
0: Yeah. And it's exceptionally heteronormative too. Right. Like there is no gay representation in this movie short of maybe Ruby's questionable sexuality and that he sleeps with everything. Right. But even that's presented as he mostly sleeps with women.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, tell you what, let's roll through um, the the hits and and do the things, and then we'll see if we like the other movie. Um, I wanted to ask you—you you know we, we mentioned it. Did you think Fifth Element was cult? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, Luke Besson isn't at the level of your David Cronenberg's or your John Waters, where I just basically put their, his entire filmography on the list, but he's got a couple of hits, but even his hits wind up being cult classics more than anything. And Fifth Element is one of them. Um, you know, to, to speak the financials, it was an $80 million budget. Again, the most expensive movie ever produced outside of Hollywood. Um, And had a 63 million opening box office, which equates to it being a slight financial failure. It made its money back eventually, but you know, it it fits the bill in that way. It is so quotable that I will go ahead and spoil to you. I cannot pick a single quote from this movie, there are too many. Um, And just based off the fact of, depending on how old you were, and Maybe what gender you were a little bit and maybe what color your skin was a little bit. This could be one of your favorite sci-fi movies ever or something that you can admit is like fine and not as good as the white boy says it is.
0: The only quote that I kept thinking of was multi-pass, which is more of a trope than anything for this movie.
1: Right. That one has absolutely become a meme. And that's another thing that my family would just say to each other randomly after (laughs) we started watching this movie.
0: (laughs) That's cute, actually.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, So to lead into our Oscars, um, you know, I've kind of talked around it a bit, but I would like to give The Fifth Element the Oscar for Best World Building from Luc Besson. The one thing I will say... Every high school boy, or at least every high school nerdy boy, myself included, um, has a notebook where they think up an idea and they flesh out a world. And there are so many times that, like, science fiction gets presented and things are left unclear. We don't know how the world works because we don't need to know how the world works we don't necessarily even know how the need to know how the world works in the fifth element. And yet there is so much given to how does this world exist? What does New York in the future look like? What are apartments in the future look like? And I think he, he got things really right with the like economy of space and you have a one bedroom and your bed comes out of a wall and your shower turns into your fridge and and all this sort of stuff. The idea of, we're going to go into space and we are going to turn it into Hawaii, which is what they wind up doing with Floss in Paradise. You know, there there's so much just little stuff that is fun and fleshed out, and and just because this is the only place to say it, practically done. There was this little CGI in this movie as possible. And I think that's part of the reason why it holds up well, is because you're looking at real things. You're looking at model work, you're looking at these fantastical concepts and so i i really enjoy that so best world building for luke Basson.
0: okay best
1: captain planet ripoff (laughs) which i had to laugh because that was yet another one of the things of this movie that i never really considered
0: earth fire air water heart
1: Literally heart.
0: Literally, she's the heart, and she saves the planet with love.
1: A concentrated laser beam of love that then destroys the evil anti-sun, which is the personification of evil hurtling towards Earth. But yes, it's heart. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I just... No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fair (laughs) gotta give it to you you know what else we gotta give
0: we gotta give Kevin Bacon a big old round of applause for being so easy in this movie
1: yes absolutely
0: because Gary Oldman
1: because Gary Oldman and I think we've used this before but if not on three one two three Gary Gary Oldman Oldman in 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 JFK With? With Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. So, I'll take a tie.
0: Yeah, he was also, I will say, Alex did find another movie that Gary Oldman was with Kevin Bacon in.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: Um, he was in a movie called Criminal Law with Kevin Bacon?
1: I think I used Criminal Law in my last episode. <laughs> so that works.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> Does... I've never considered this in all of Kevin Baconing, but do you get more points if you're an actor who is in multiple movies with Kevin Bacon?
0: Oh, like, does Gary Oldman get more?
1: Is Gary Oldman, like, worth more? I mean, he is because he's Gary Oldman, and I love him. I do love Gary Oldman. <laughs> Th- things to consider if I ever actually like try to tally up the points of all of these episodes. <laughs> but before I consider that, what I am going to do is what we do on every episode of Cult Fiction, and uh, look to the Hollywood crypt to figure out our next film. Um, we have a good even 300 films.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: I added something after the last one. I I don't remember what, but I'm going to stop doing that so we can finally like crest this milestone. So out of our 300 films, we are going to be looking at number 85 next time. Uh, And number uh, 85 (laughs) is the 2001 stoner comedy, Super Troopers.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Have you ever cool, seen Super Troopers? Cool. I've seen parts of it.
1: I've only heard people do bits of parts of it. I've never seen Super Troopers.
0: Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also rate, review, and follow along wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now.
1: But join us next time when I finally understand what coworkers and people from high school were talking about with Farva and the patrol cops and all of that stuff when we watch 2001's Super Troopers. Lucky for, me for Stephanie Johnson. I've been Andy Boel.